this is Tosha, and you are tuning in to the Supernova Tosha Show podcast, the show that addresses social issues and how it affects the community. And today, what we are going to be talking about is we're going to examine um, bystander syndrome and what bystander, bystander syndrome, say that three times. So what is um, bystander apathy? So uh, bystander apathy, it uh, refers to the phenomenon where individuals are less likely to intervene or take action in an emergency situation when there are other people that are present. Uh, This can be caused by several factors such as diffusion of responsibility, like that's none of my business, (laughs) Uh, social influence and evaluation apprehension. Uh, Diffusion responsibility occurs when individuals believe that will be responsible for helping. You know that uh, get somebody else to do it. That's what that means. (laughs) Leading to a decreased sense of personal responsibility for helping, uh, leading to a decreased sense of personal responsibility. Now, in a group setting, individuals may assume that someone else will step in, uh, resulting in a collective inaction by an entire group of people. Uh, Social influence also plays a role in bystander apathy. Uh, People tend to look to others um, for cues on how to behave and if they have observe others not taking action, they may interpret this as a signal that intervention is unnecessary and also inappropriate. Um, Evaluation apprehension is also another contribution to bystander apathy. Individuals may hesitate to intervene due to a fear of negative evaluation or judgment from others. Um, They may worry about making a mistake or being criticized for their actions, which can inhibit their willingness to go ahead and to intervene. Overall, standard apathy occurs when individuals experience a diffusion of responsibility. Um, They're influenced by behaviors of others and um, they feel, um, you know, they feel apprehensive about uh, a potential evaluation. And these factors can collectively contribute contribute to a lack of intervention in any emergency situation. Um, Why am I talking about this? Well, the reason why I'm talking about this is because um, we see things happen all the time. They do social experiments um, all the time in, in the public and you get to see hacked. Well, uh, there's also a case about um, Kitty Genovese. Now, the Kitty Genovese case, I've read, and I'm not sure how true it is, but this is what I read, that that's what started or initiated the 911 emergency um, phone number. So with uh, the case of Kitty Genovese, um, her name's actually Catherine, her first name. So I guess um, that's her pet name, nickname. The phrase after this case is called the Kitty Genovese Syndrome. Her name, Catherine Genovese, on March 13, 1964, this 28-year-old bartender was, um, well, I don't know if I can say the R word, but basically um, sexually assaulted and uh, on a live, a knife outside of the apartment building where she lived in, um, it's called Kew Gardens. Uh, in the area of uh, Queens, New York. So um, the tragic tale begins at approximately about 2.30, uh, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. 
Catherine left the bar where she was working. She worked as a bartender. Now, while she was driving home, she stopped at a red light and noticed um, there was a man. His name is uh, Winston Mosley, and he was also in his car. Uh, as she walked uh, towards her apartment, Mosley followed her home and uh, approached Catherine. So basically, you know, she stopped at a light, saw him, um, you know, just thought nothing of it. He saw her. Um, she got out of her car to walk toward her apartment building. And as she walked to her apartment building, she seen that he's following her. And um, he approached, he approached Catherine. So she ran after her and um, he was, of course, armed with a knife. So he um, put the knife in her back three times. Um, they said that, um, or twice, I think. Um, Catherine screamed. She was screaming, help me, help me. And uh, it was said that several neighbors heard her cry, um, but only a few of them realized that someone was crying out for help. Uh, Robert Moser was a neighbor in uh, the apartment. And um, so he shouted out, uh, you know, let the girl alone, leave the girl alone. And uh, her attacker ran away. So uh, Catherine, you know, injured, she ran towards the uh, rear entrance of her building. Now, um, witnesses said that they saw when the attacker ran away, entered his car and drove away. So that was that. Um, I guess about 10 minutes later, he circled back, he came back and uh, he had a, a, a wide brim hat. He covered his face, disguised his face with it. And then um, he just started walking around, searching the parking lot. Um, he searched the train station. Um, he searched the apartment complex. And then finally he located Catherine who was barely conscious. And uh, she was in the back of the building where um, there was a back door that was locked and that prevented her from being able to enter into the building, into her apartment. And I guess, you know, at that point she would have, you know, probably on somebody's door uh, to get help. Um, so mostly found Catherine and, um, you know, he finished her off with the knife several more times. He, you know, he hurt her. And then of course he, um, sexually assaulted her and, um, she had like, I guess, uh, 50 bucks, less than 50 bucks in her purse and he robbed her, stole the money and just went about his business. Um, so, uh, she had a close friend, um, in the building. Her name was Sophia. Farrar. She was the one who found Catherine and she found Catherine. Um, she just basically held her and uh, rocked her and told her that she was going to be okay. Catherine ended up passing in the arms of Miss Sophia Farrar. Um, you know, she held her until the ambulance came, but boy, that by that time it was too late. So um, I just want to show a little footage of uh, some, some of the information um, that aren't quite correct. They're saying you know, it was like almost 40 people who heard her and um, nobody did anything. But um, it looks like some of the information is not that correct. So um, I do. there is a um, documentary that's coming out. And so I just want to show you a little clip of um, this clip has mentions um, people who helped a victim and then it goes into um, Catherine Genevieve's story. Let's go ahead and uh, roll this footage. 
America was riveted this week by the upsetting case of Brock Turner, the Stanford University swimmer who was convicted of a rape of an unconscious woman and was sentenced to only six months in jail. If there was anything at all positive about this story, it was the fact that the crime was discovered and halted by two heroic Stanford students from Sweden. Carl Frederick Arndt and Peter Johnson were cycling past when they saw the crime being committed. And when Turner tried to flee, they tackled and pinned him down until police arrived and arrested him. Their heroics in apprehending the Stanford rapist reminded me of a famous murder case 50 years ago that came to symbolize a world where people didn't care when bad things happened and they didn't get involved. To this day, it remains the subject of psychological studies. But it turns out the story is more complicated than we were led to believe. At about 3 a.m. on March 13, 1964, 28-year-old Kitty Genovese was brutally stabbed to death outside her apartment building in Kew Gardens in the borough of Queens, New York. In a front-page story, the New York Times reported that 37 witnesses either saw or heard the attack. The headline said they saw it, and not one lifted a finger. But now comes a documentary called The Witness, the work of Kitty's younger brother, Bill, he was 16 at the time, and filmmaker James Solomon. And their work, 11 years in the making, reveals that history got this one wrong. When my mom tried to open the door, it hit Kitty. And she was facing her head towards the door, her feet towards the stairs. And my mother had to push the door in to get in. She held her and she could feel the stab wounds in her back and her hands kept going, still fighting. And my mom finally calmed her down, but she couldn't talk and she started to gurgle. That was her, she was just passing then, she was dying. So hours later, I opened the door and the whole bottom of this foyer was blood. Joining me now, Bill Genovese and James Solomon. So, Bill, what did history get wrong? Michael, the most shocking thing that history got wrong was two weeks after Kitty's murder, there was a front-page New York Times article which started out describing the situation this way. 38 people watched over the course of a half an hour and did nothing. 38 people did not watch. The, uh, the attack took place in two different phases. One was on Austin Street and the other was in the back of apartments. It took, did take place over 30, 30, 32 minutes, something like that. But 38 people certainly did not watch. Well, and they didn't stand idly by because we just showed the clip, Michael Farrar's mother, right. Sophia Farrar. I don't want to give it all away, but you interview her in a very poignant scene in the movie. Your sister died in her arms. That's right. But of course, it was over the course of 32 minutes. And when Sophia Farrar first found out it was at the end of her life. It was after the second attack, which was really the fatal attack. Was this done then to sell newspapers? I have the headline in my hand, 37 who saw murder didn't call the police. Some have said that. I myself don't believe that. I think that uh, A.M. Rosenthal thought he had an important uh, moral story to tell and got it out that way. The police... So uh, we're coming back from uh, watching that video about Kitty Genovese and um, such a sad story. Um, I hope to never be put into a position like that. I mean, I've, you know, uh, stepped in to help in, in other ways, but I have a story to tell you, right? So here's a time where 
I literally had a bystander apathy. Um, so in, in my neighborhood, there is um, a couple of homeowners that uh, run out to tenants. So this um, particular homeowner, um, I guess he, I don't know if he's done it the right way or not, but there's always a lot of cars at this place. So I guess he rents rooms to different people. Um, so I remember he rented a room to a young guy because I just started seeing this guy in the neighborhood and he would walk. I guess he caught the bus or what have you. So he he would walk. And then um, a couple of weeks later, I see um, a black car that would come. And I guess that was his female companion. Um, several times I would observe them arguing really loudly you know, in, in, in the neighborhood, it's like early in the morning, you know, you're getting ready to go to work or drop the kids off to school, what have you, but it's early in the morning and, you know, arguing. Yuck, 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 yuck. So, um, I guess that's just how, uh, they operate. And then I would see like a slap here, a slap there. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now I do not condone domestic violence under any case, under any shape, form. I feel if someone has to put their hands on you, it's just time to go. And, um, the person that's laying hands really needs to get help. Um, because that's not how adults, um, operate in a relationship. Anywho, um, so, <laughs> The one morning, um, I will, you know, I, I was outside and then I hear, you know, they're arguing, they're going at it again, they're going at it again, blah, blah, blah. Now I've observed him telling her to leave, uh, never to come back, but she always comes back, right? So in a domestic violence situation like this, I wouldn't even step in because um, these situations, you can, the person that's helping can get hurt uh, physically. And, um, you know, if he tells her to leave, and then she keeps coming back for more. Obviously, um, she doesn't mind this uh, this type of behavior. So uh, one morning, you know, they're there, they're arguing, they're doing their thing. And um, this is their, you know, toxic situation. Um, so she basically, he's walking, right? And he walks past me at my house because I hear them shouting, shouting, shouting. So basically, I'm like, vacuuming my grass at seven o'clock in the morning now because I'm like this is getting juicy it's a juicy story unfolding here and he's yelling at her he's screaming at her I'm vacuuming my grass acting like okay this is what um this is how they do so anywho um they walk past my house and I hear him screaming at her that she's disgusting um she did all sorts of things to his derriere with her tongue and I'm like so I opened the trunk of my car. So now I'm 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 going from vacuuming the grass to now cleaning my car at seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm cleaning the trunk and I'm like, what is going on here? So they're going at it. They're going at it like he is being specific, calling her all sorts of expletives and seeing what they've done in the bedroom and how she's disgusting. And she's like, well, I only did that because you asked me to. And I'm just like, oh, wow. So anyway, um, they're walking back and forth and they're passing my house. So they they walk the other way and they walk past my house again. And they're there, they're going at it, they're yelling. And I was like, well, I've had my morning soap opera for the day. So um, let me just get my day started. They're still outside. And then um, someone in the neighborhood, it was like, you know, a, a mom in her mom van and her um, her kids. And she's got the, 
you know, the mom sweater on because she's got to go drive up and stay in the line and wait to let the kids off for school. And she stops. And because now it starts to get physical, like I see hands flying in the air and the, the mom stops. She's like, honey, do you need some help? And wouldn't you believe it? But this um, damsel in distress starts yelling at the woman, leave me alone. Mind your business. It's none of your business what's going on over here. Mind your business. Just leave. Go about your business. And I motioned to the lady. I said, come here, you know, leave them alone. Come here. She comes over to me and she is shocked. Like she had to pick her, her, um, her chin up off the floor. She's like, I tried to help her. I'm asking her if she needs help. And she's literally cursing me out. I said, that's why you need to leave them alone because she'll probably turn around and jump on you if you try to intervene. I said, I've seen this several mornings. This is something they do. Um, he's new into the neighborhood. I guess he rents a room, but I'm hoping and praying that he leaves pretty soon. And, um, you know, it was just, it, yeah. So, um, I didn't, I didn't intervene. Um, yeah, because at that point, this is something that I've always observed them doing and he's asked her to not come back and she does come back. So, um, my thing is that, uh, you know, with this mom, she left her house with a task in mind and uh, she decided to help someone that she thought was in distress. And uh, she didn't turn a blind eye. She, you know, basically said as a woman, I had to stop. I had to help. I'm a woman as well. And, uh, you know, she had fears for her children may be hurt, but despite her concerns, she prioritized someone who was at a disadvantage and halted to offer assistance. Um, so you may wonder why I didn't offer assistance. And like I said before, um, you know, I've I've just seen them and how they operate and this is their relationship. And so I made the evaluation. And at that point, I was like, get somebody else to do it. So um, <laughs> she wasn't a victim. She wasn't in danger. This is how she operates in her relationship. This is, um, you know, this is just her her situation. Um, and in another situation, uh, I was driving home and I, uh, you know, you have to stop when they're the bus stops. So when the bus stops as what we call the yellow cheese wagon. So when the cheese wagon stopped, the kids jumped off the bus. And when the kids jumped off the bus, I noticed that they were all forming uh, a circle and then cell phones started going up. And I was like, mm, the universal sign for a fight, right? We all know. So I'm like, they're going to fight. They're going to post it on World Star. And I'm like, not today. No, not today, Satan. Um, so as soon as I saw that, I pulled over on the grass. And um, before I could even get out the car, the bus driver noticed the same thing. And she went on her loudspeaker. She was like, I don't know what it is that y'all are planning to do. But I suggest each one of you pack your stuff, get your bags and go. Because remember, she's the bus driver. She knows them. If they were to start an altercation, she'd probably suspend them off the bus, get them suspended off the bus. So that was a good call. Yes, if the bus driver hadn't done anything, I would have intervened and told the kids, this is not the way to settle it. We're not going to do this, especially, no. Mm -mm. We, we're going to learn conflict resolution today, not today. So at that point, I did choose to uh, not be a bystander, but to intervene. Um, but I didn't have to because somebody else did. So <laughs> it's not like I was like, get somebody else to do it. She just decided to do it because, you know, a bus driver gets to know the kids. Just like, you know, I remember when I was in school riding the bus, bus drivers, you know, they get to know you. 
So anyway, during the holiday season amongst the um, amidst the 2008 recession, um, this is well, this is actually a story. Um, let me just preface this. This is not something that happened to me. This is not something that are that happened to someone I know. This is just a story that I read. And um, there's like all sorts of examples. So let me go ahead and read this story for you. Very, very sad. It's interesting, but it's very sad. Now, um, it says here, uh, this woman, decided, uh, this person shared a story. It says, during the holiday season amidst the 2008 recession, my firm's dissolution announcement left me feeling devastated. As I descended the steps at Wall Street Station, mindful of the icy patches, a wave of despair washed over me. While searching for my subway card, a teenager suddenly appeared and forcefully snatched my laptop bag from my shoulder. Reacting swiftly, I managed to grab hold of the strap, initiating a struggle. However, my efforts were in vain as two imposing fingers emerged behind me. Uh, in an instant, a barrage of limbs and feet pummeled my body, driving my face into the unforgiving concrete while heavy boots kicked my skull. Ugh, desperate for help, I cried out to the unresponsive crowd that surrounded me. Um, despite the station being filled with people, just after the evening rush, each person averted their gaze, refusing to acknowledge my plea. Curled up in a tight ball on the subway floor, I questioned what was lacking in me that prevented others from recognizing my worth and offering protection. Why did they choose not to act? The violence inflicted upon me created a sense of detachment from reality as if I had stepped into a stage where simulated violence was norm. Only then could I begin to comprehend the crowd's passive acceptance of my assault as they watched without flinching. Um, first of all, it's because it's New York. I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows, I cannot stand the state of New York. There's nothing anyone can do to tell me, oh, the shopping and the theater and the art and the museums and oh, New York is so glamorous and so fabulous. There's absolutely nothing about New York that I like. Nothing. Um, yeah. So, um, with that being said, <laughs> the pizza is lackluster. Um, the Chinese food they talk about, no different from any other Chinese food I've ever had. I mean, there's nothing. It's it's loud. It's, so yeah. And I have a friend who actually said that in New York, you mind your business. You see someone getting assaulted on the subway, you mind your business. And I was like, that is terrible. That is a horrible way to live. Anyway, so um while, you know, it can be disheartening to witness instances of bystander apathy, it is important to remember that um, there are also individuals who step forward to provide aid in such situations. And in the video, uh, in the beginning, you heard about the two students uh, that were from Sweden and they helped the young lady while a crime was being um well, they, he was about to commit a crime and the two students, they saw, they apprehended him, pinned him down and was able to hold him uh, for the police. So kudos to them for that. You protected that young lady and um, 
your heroes, definitely. Um, so uh, the, these compassionate individuals demonstrate a willingness to help others, even when it may be easier to simply mind their business. And that's it. Just mind their business and just not address anything. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So this whole uh, bystander apathy, there's a lot of studies that's been uh, that's uh, that's being done until this day of uh, why it happens. Why do some people um, not do anything? Why do they think that uh, others will get involved? Um, you know, do some people fear judgment? Do some people? And that's the thing, especially with the the young lady that told her, oh, you know, told the the mom driving by, mind your business. This has nothing to do with you. It's like, you know, she felt like she was kind of being judged, like you know, she was being nosy. Um, you know, you're poking in someone else's business. So all of that um, comes together, and uh, you know, you kind of get an understanding of why some people uh, choose to be bystanders. So you let me know what you think. You let me know if you're the person that will step in, if you'll, you know, uh, render aid, if you'll give a helping hand. Um, you know, I even um, was reading up about the bystanders with the George Floyd situation. And even when they were, um, they were on the witness stand and um, they just felt so bad. They were like, we literally were telling the cops stop, stop, stop. He can't breathe. Uh, but there's really nothing they could physically do because, you know, you can't go and, you know, get the cops off. You, you can't. So, um, you know, they still have that feeling um, of guilt, I guess. And uh, especially um, when I read what the, the guy um, that said, you know, he passed the fake $20 bill uh, when he was on the witness stand, he said, you know what? I wish I had just told him you know, your money's no good here. And then just, you know, let him go on his way instead of um, calling the cops on him or what have you, because he um, says he feels guilty. We don't know. Anyway, we're not going to judge anybody. <laughs> so uh, loyal family, thank you so much for tuning in to the Supernova Tosha podcast. And of course, we can be seen and heard on uh, Spotify and Pandora um, and uh, iHeartRadio and also tune in. For some reason, I think they're getting rid of uh, Google Podcasts now. I think that's what I heard. So um, we'll see. Um, I'm not quite sure, but I'll find out. Uh, for certain, but from what I've been told, no more Google Podcasts. Um, but also, um, I was able to listen, I'm able to listen to other podcasts and also my own podcast. Um, I do have an Alexa. Um, I have several in the house. <laughs> so people are saying, hey, they're spying on you. They're listening to everything you do. I'm like, it's pretty boring here. I mean, unless they want some good recipes, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing happens here. So go ahead. Um, but yeah, so um, I was able to, I listened to other podcasts on um, the Alexa and um, you can also just uh, say, you know, Alexa plays Supernova Tosha show podcast and my shows will pop up. So go ahead and listen, discuss, like, share, follow me, all this good stuff. Thank you so much. I am so grateful for your time. I thank you for being attentive and I appreciate your presence. Be careful, be safe. Walk good, peace be still.